Hello and welcome to Resourceful, stories from the site, proudly brought to you by Resources Unearthed. At Resources Unearthed, we help executives, professionals and business owners in mining and resources to be successful both personally and professionally. We've created this podcast to help you in your employment or business, and we'll be chatting to people who have a proven track record of success in the industry. Thanks for joining us. Today on the podcast, we're sharing a conversation our contributor Craig Barry had with Scott Linderblad on the Digging with Accountants podcast. We found this conversation to be highly valuable and hope that you enjoy. If you'd like more information about the Digging with Accountants podcast, head to our show notes. Great to be back for another session here. And look, what is tax planning? Great question. I know our clients always ask us that. Uh, and look, while careful tax return preparation is important, the fact is most tax sale mechanisms need to be implemented before 30 June, and this is where tax planning comes into play. So the earlier we identify the issues, the more time you have to explore the options, arrange your cash flow, implement a plan to reduce or avoid the need to pay unnecessary tax. So, you know, look, in a nutshell, tax planning is how to pay less tax, you know, legitimately, of course. And um, so as part of a comprehensive tax planning review, which your advisor should be doing with you annually, generally around this between anywhere from April, May, on, or April and May are the main areas. If it's in June, look, we can get it, we can definitely do something, but as we said, the earlier the better. Um, but look, what your advisor should be doing is assessing your current financial reports, you know, so it might be that they're all reconciled up to say 31 March or 30 April. And then we're going to look at those numbers and we're going to look through the income for the year expenses, make sure everything's taken up appropriately. And then we're going to extrapolate those out to project, say, what April, May and June quarter may look like. And then obviously they'll be in conjunction with the client to discuss, you know, does that make sense? Is that coming through properly? Is that extra income actually going to hit? Um, And then once we've done that, we can calculate what the expected tax obligations will be for the whole financial year. And, you know, look, at the end of the day, you know, we're big believers in being proactive and tax planning is a really proactive piece here because you will know up front what your tax position is going to be for this financial year instead of waiting till you know May next year going, oh, look, I've quickly rushed it together. How much tax do I have to pay? Oh, God, I've got a massive tax bill. Yep. Look, it's not about that. We don't want that. Clients don't like that. We don't like that. So tax planning gives us that opportunity to really get in there and really help clients understand, well, what is my tax bill going to be? Do I need to pay more tax instalments? Or, hey, I've got all this surplus cash. How much of that actually needs to be put aside now? Mm -hmm. And then what can I actually do with the rest of the money? Mm -hmm. So, look, I think, you know, part of the tax planning there is the reports. But once they are done, you know, it may seem like that's sort of all it is. But to be honest, that's where your advisor should really kick into action because that's where all the questions will begin. It's not just going, look, we've projected some figures. It's going, our starting point is we've projected some figures here. And this is where if nothing else changes, then yes, great, this is what your projected tax outcome will be. Mm -hmm. But what we want to start doing is asking you some far-reaching questions. It could be, 
you know, anywhere from talking about, uh, you know, debtors, bad debts, inventory valuations, all the way through to potentially super contributions and trust distributions. And by doing all this, the reason we're digging into all these questions with you is trying to work out, well, how can we potentially reduce that tax bill or ease that cash flow burden that you're going to have when it comes due? So, for example, you know, look, you may be planning to buy a new motor vehicle or a big piece of equipment in the next financial year. You might think July, August, that's perfect time, let's get that in. But you come talk with your advisor in that April, May area and go, well, hang on, you've got a big tax bill coming. Why not get that equipment or motor vehicle forward, mm. get that into this financial year, reduce the tax the big tax deduction as opposed, sorry, reduce the big tax bill that you're gonna have as opposed to getting the tax deduction next financial year, which to be honest, the cash flow impact of that is then another year later. Mm. So you, you know, you're almost bringing forward that tax mm. benefit of you know two years. Yep. Um, so it's a really good opportunity to get ahead there. So look, I think it's definitely something that it's prudent to you know go through it all with your advisor. And if your advisor isn't talking to you about it, look, you really should just be putting it back on them and saying, well, what can I be doing? Mm. And look, I, I briefed over some of those questions, but Craig, when you do it with your clients, what sort of questions do you get into? I mean, for me, it's partly about sort of going through the process of understanding where the business is heading for, for this financial year and you know, make sure everyone's on board with, you know, roughly what the tax position is going to be. You know, of course, understanding that it's never going to be 100% accurate unless you do it on the second last day of the year, which is a bit pointless. But it's really just starting with that, but using that as the beginning of a conversation with the client about not only how have you gone this financial year, but what are you, what are you expecting next year and the year after and, and what are you wanting to do? Because as an accountant, I try to look a bit more sort of long-term rather than short-term. So of course, using the short-term position as, as a starting point for saying, well, look, you know, last year you made X dollars in profit, this year you've doubled it. Where are we heading next year? Are we looking for another doubling or is it going to start pulling back or, you know, where's it all heading? And with that, you sort of listen to some of our more recent podcasts about, you know, things like succession, you know, having a discussion about succession and structuring and those sorts of things to make sure, well, if your business is doubling in profit, you know, year on year, then are we still in the right structure? Are we able to manage that level of profit? You know, are there any changes on the horizon in terms of, you know, personal changes or anything like that? Because as important as tax planning is, to me, it's just part of this conversation to understand, well, where's the business heading and how can we assist to make sure that that tax position and everything else is sort of being dealt with in the most adequate and appropriate way. Yeah, you make a good point there. While it is tax planning, it's not always just about the tax, right? It's about that constant reviewing and having that open communication with your advisor about how is the business going? And yes, here's some opportunities to ensure you're doing as much tax effective adjustments as possible. Mm. But also, yeah, here's that opportunity. Well, what does the next 12 months, what's the next 24 months look like, right? Correct. So yep. no, good point there, Craig. Absolutely. 
Um, yeah, so, so Scott, if you're running your sort of tax planning session, there's usually a list of some fairly obvious issues mm-hmm. to cover as you're going through, you know, and, and, we've, and we've got a list here in front of us, but did you want to give us a bit of an idea of, of some of the more obvious ones that you'd go through with most of your clients when you're doing tax planning? Yeah, no, definitely. And look, we'll probably, let's split this up as well. You don't want to hear from me all the time. <laughs> I always talk too much. So look, the first couple, pretty straightforward. Let's focus on your income strategies and expense strategies, right? So your income, everyone thinks I've got all my income, there's nothing I can do with that. But what you've got to have a look at is, well, what does your invoicing look like? Are you on accruals method? So when you invoice that income, that's when it gets assessed. Or are you on a cash-based method? When you you know, physically receive that cash from the invoice, that's when you get assessed. So, you know, a lot of people, majority of people should be on that accrual method, but there's still plenty of other businesses that do suit the cash method. Mm-hmm. So that'll be something that you need to determine. Also, it's about how much income in advance have you actually received? Have you signed up for a 12, 18 month contract and they've paid you sort of six to 12 months up front. You know, maybe that doesn't actually happen, but let's say they've paid you six months oh, it, up front. It, it happens in some industries, like the software yeah. industry, for example. Yeah. Typically, you'll get subscriptions in advance. So yeah, yep. it definitely does happen. Exactly. But, I mean, mining in, I mean, potentially in the mining industry, we're talking more about if you have engaged in a contract to provide a particular service to a, a mining industry participant, they might pay you in advance to secure your services. So potentially there could be an option in those sort of circumstances to defer the recognition of income into a future year. Yeah, and I think that's what you've got to look at is, you know, if you've been paid in sort of April, May, June for services that relate to July, August, September, Well, is it fair that if you don't perform those services in July, August, September, that you're going to have to give that money back? Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, well, then you should be making sure that that income is allocated not to income, but as to effectively income in advance and so that you won't actually be taxed on it till the next financial year. And it's just a small little technicality, but that could make a big difference on your one, your tax bill and two, on your cash flow. So simple one there. Obviously, you look got to look at all your, you know, the accrued income, reviewing your invoicing and contracted performance and making sure that that all lines up with what it should. And then on the expenditure side, at the end of the day, we know get as many expenses in in June as possible, but only if you need it. Mm. Don't go and pay for something if you don't need it just for the tax deduction because you know, you're paying a dollar to save 30 cents or a dollar to save 47 cents, whatever it might be. If you actually don't need that piece of equipment, you're still out of pocket, right? So only if you need those expenses for the business and you're going to buy them anyway, get them in June, get them in before and claim that tax deduction now. And then the other one is prepayments. Now, this is sort of generally used to be for small businesses up to 10 million turnover. But now with recent um, changes, it's actually up to businesses with up to 50 million turnover. And it just basically means that If you're prepaying expenses, so maybe rent, insurance, interest, items like that whereby it only spans 12 months or less, if you're paying that in June, then you can get a deduction for that full amount. If it's for, say, 18 months prepayment, well, you won't be able to get that deduction for all of it. But generally, if it's a 12 months or less expenditure, um, that's a great opportunity where you may have had a real bit of income come in which you weren't expecting. And now you go, well, hang on, that's put us into a really high tax bracket. How do we deal with that? 
one option could be that, well, let's prepay some rent, let's prepay some expenses here and just bring forward some of those expenses from next year just to even out the tax benefits. Yeah, especially in those spiky years. So if your business has sort of spiky one-off big profit years and, you know, if you're looking at 2022 and saying, oh, we're going to make an extraordinary profit this year but, you know, next year we, we think it'll settle back down to usual, then that's where using those prepayment strategies can be really useful because you can help sort of smooth out some of that profit um, in, into a future year rather than because obviously with time cost of money the, the, the tax money is better in your pocket than in the ATO so you know trying to defer Always. that for as long as possible is, is a good strategy yeah. thanks for that Scott so the next on our sort of list of, of strategies here is bad debts so one thing that many business owners will be aware is that you know you'll have bad debts and You'll have debts that you know you've been chasing for ages, and you know you can't get a hold of them, or they've gone into liquidation, or whatever the case is. One thing that's really important is, is that if you do have those bad debts, don't wait until you, your accountant's preparing a tax return to actually make a decision on those, because at that point it's too late to actually claim in that particular year. Unfortunately, bad debts are undeductible at a point where you've made a written decision to write off that debt. So make sure that if you do have a long bad debts list and there's some questionable ones on there, give that a, a real good thought prior to 30 June and make sure you put down in writing the ones that you want to write off and you know instruct your bookkeeper or your internal financial person to make sure that they record that as, as written off in the accounts. So, so that's that's a quite important one. Depending on you know obviously your data book and things like that. Next one is depreciation and temporary full expensing. So, sort of as we sort of discussed at the start of this podcast, one one option where you do have you know significant profits is to bring forward you know the acquisition of capital assets under the current instant asset write off provisions. Main thing that I always recommend, and I know we've spoken about this in previous podcasts as well. Only do this if you actually need the asset and you're really just bringing forward expenditure that you would have otherwise already spent, you know, in the next sort of 12 to 18 months. Don't just do it because, oh, you know, I made some extra money, I'll go and buy myself a new ute, even though you've got three brand new utes sitting in the car park. You know, that's, to me, I think that's a bit of a waste of money. But, you know, if part of your CapEx budget is that, you know, you've got some large pieces of machinery purchases coming up, then look at whether you can bring those forward to pre-30 June. I guess one thing just to be mindful of with all this is that in order to get the deduction before 30 June is not only do you need to have ordered the asset, it needed to be you know in, installed ready for use. So if we're talking about a piece of machinery, it is what it is, you know, it actually needs to be delivered and installed and being used prior to 30 June. For things like vehicles, it just needs to be delivered to you because effectively it's installed ready for use. But I guess with the current post-COVID environment we're living in at the moment, Getting cards is actually really, really hard. So it could well be the fact that maybe if you're just listening to this podcast today, it might already be too late to get into some of these um, instant asset write-off strategies. So you know, it's going to be a horses for courses type thing. But just bear in mind that maybe this is more of a strategy to consider for next year. At this stage, the instant asset write-off provisions are scheduled to end at the end of next year, subject to what they say in the budget, but maybe this might be sort of something just to put in the back of your mind to say, well, we need to look at planning for this earlier if that sort of supply chain issue continues to be a problem in the equipment industry. And I think, yeah, we've given everyone out there a perfect reason to justify to your spouse why you're going to order a car now, right? <laughs> so you're going to be there going, well, look, it's going to take me 12 months months I've really got to put the order down now to get it and then we'll you know obviously use the caveat of we'll assess it when it comes near that whether we cancel it or not but you know look we all know we're going to take it for the instant asset write-off <laughs> next year right yeah so or temporary full expensing whatever one you want to bring it under yeah 
But yeah, definitely think ahead at the moment because each car has what sort of nine, yeah, six a, to nine months weight. at least. Yeah, big weight, yeah. The next one is the loss carryback measure. So if, if you're running your mining resources business through a company and, and you've had losses in the last couple of years due to COVID, then look at whether you can access those loss carryback measures. So there are a few eligibility considerations there, and I won't go into those because they're reasonably complex. But basically, if you've had taxable income in the 20 to 19 through to 20 to 22 years, but you've had losses on any of the 2020 to 2023 years, that potentially there's the opportunity to carry back some of those losses where if you're in the circumstance where you've had a loss year that comes after an income year, you may be able to carry that back and claim back some of the tax that you may have paid in a previous year. Like I said, there are some eligibility requirements there, but certainly if you think that might apply to you, feel free to have a chat to your accountant or reach out to us and you know we can look at, look at whether you're eligible or not. Yeah, no, that's great. There's a few little extra tips there. And look, I'll, I'll cover off a few more. The one that obviously pops up a bit of staff entitlements and superannuation. While everyone sees that that is a pretty standard thing, what a lot of people miss is that one your superannuation for your staff needs to be paid prior to 30 June and it's not paying it on 30 June it is get it paid at least sort of 10 days That's if before, you want to get the deduction if you want to get the tax deduction we're talking about yeah. sorry so you know look if you aren't too concerned about getting that tax deduction this financial year well then obviously that last sort of April to June period of staff superannuation. Look, that will roll over into July when you have to pay it by the 28th of July, but you won't get that tax deduction until next financial year. So if you want to make sure you get that extra deduction in this year, then make sure that that April to June period of super owed for the employees, just the super guarantee portion, is all paid by at least sort of 10 days before 30 June, and that way you'll guarantee you get that deduction in there. Another one though that pops up is accrued staff commissions and bonuses. So if you have KPIs set there and you know that certain staff are guaranteed, they've already hit their budget, they're guaranteed to get their bonuses and everything, make sure you document that before 30 June because these bonuses and commissions are going to be deductible to the company when they are documented and incurred rather than when physically paid. And so that's something that a lot of people miss out on. They go, oh, look, we've got to pay this bonus and we'll assess it in July, August. But realistically, you already knew that all these bonuses were going to be paid because you know, the budget got hit back in May. So if you're wrapping up the end of the financial year, make sure you're documenting who has guaranteed to get their bonus and commissions and get those accrued in the books and have it all documented down. So there's an extra little deduction there. And then on the personal front with superannuation, look, you know, the superannuation contribution caps for what you can claim a deduction for. So the concessional contributions, that's gone up to 27,500 this financial year. So if you're paying yourself a wage out of your company and you still have a gap, you know, you might be paying yourself a 200K wage and you've paid yourself 20,000 of super through the company. Well, you've still got that 7,500 that you might be able to claim. So have a look at that and potentially get in there before 30 June and do that extra deduction. And the same thing you said before, make sure you pay it nice and early so it yeah. gets into the fund before 30 June. Yeah, definitely. Especially if you have a not a self-managed super fund because a lot of these industry and retail funds, they have a bit more administration hurdles in there so that sometimes you'll miss the cutoff just because they said, no, we need it in there three days beforehand or something like that. So 
So always be aware, call up your fund to determine what are their requirements. And then if you have a financial advisor, speak with them early on in that May-June period to make sure that you're getting the right pieces in there. And then on top of that, you know, where you've got a superannuation balance of less than $500,000 as at the end of the last financial year, you may be able to use the catch-up contributions available. So that's something whereby if in the past, you know, three years, I think it's from 1 July 18, was it, Craig? Uh, yeah, 2019. Yeah. 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 So from that period onwards, if you had only made say $15,000 of concessional contributions, but the cap was actually 25,000, well, you've got a gap of 10,000 there that depending on um, your eligibility, you may be able to put that in as an extra deduction this year. So once again, make sure you're speaking with your advisor and your financial advisor about this to confirm what is available to you and then also whether you would be eligible to claim it and whether it's worthwhile as well. So always just getting in there early, especially start of June, end of May period now with super contributions. If you haven't done it, reach out now and then that way you'll definitely get them in there. And just adding to that, that carry forward catch up contribution arrangement, it's on a five year rolling basis as well. So just some early warning that in the 2023 year, that'll be your last opportunity to catch up on your 2019 unused contributions because after the 2023 financial year, that will drop off that mm. sort of rolling balance. So, so just some early warning for anyone who might have under contributed in the 2019 year and haven't yet caught it up, that next year will be your last opportunity to use that one up. So, so next, I guess, issue that we have on our list here is, is around dividends and director loans, you know, assuming you've got a company. So if you're running a business through your company, a common thing that we see as accountants is Division 7A loans or you know loans to shareholders and directors. These need to be managed by way of minimum repayments each year. No doubt you're aware of it. If you're not, strongly suggest to go and talk to your accountant because this definitely needs to be sorted out. Make sure that they are definitely paid prior to the end of the year to make sure that you're meeting those requirements under your loan agreement that you would have in place. Uh, Equally, if you're in business with other people, which isn't uncommon, make sure that if you do have loans, either loans into the company or loans out of the company, whatever the case is, as best you can, try and make sure that those have been equalised because I guess having your loans equalised on an annual basis is good. You know, it's best practice so that, you know, if there is a dispute in the future, you're not then sort of dealing with issues around, oh, he took more money out than I did and blah, 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 it's not fair. So at least if you're looking at equalising those on a fairly regular basis, you know, you at least keep keeping everyone happy uh, as best you can. And I'll add there, it's not just business partners, it's family, right? So your brothers and sisters or mum and dad are all working together, but one person's drawn out more than the other. At the end of the day, there may be agreements that that's okay, but you should always keep your partner funds equal as much as possible. And if there's a separate loan for a certain thing, whereby, say, you know, your brother or your son or someone wanted to buy a house mm. and say there was a specific amount lent, that should be documented on separate terms as a separate loan, and, you know, completely identifiable from the actual partner loans or partner funds, etc. Mm. So, you know, everyone thinks, oh, look, it's all family, but unfortunately as you've heard on previous podcasts we've had plenty of families unfortunately go bad and then all of a sudden you've got one brother or sister owes all this money and they don't want to repay the company Mm. and it's too bad it's already gone yeah exactly i guess the next thing is is if your business 
is running through a trust, which again is, is quite common, make sure, and no doubt you're already doing this, but make sure that you've made those trust distribution resolutions by the end of the financial year or earlier, if it says so in your trust deed, that the ATO have looked at these from time to time since you know there's a, a few court cases a few years ago and so they've been looking at these more regularly just to make sure that people are definitely making those distributions and are documenting those prior to the end of the year and as part of that process we sort of fold back to having a chat with your accountant about current new positions and all those sort of things if you're carrying on business through a trust this is almost the product of those conversations around well you know we're looking at making x profit this year these are our income levels you know for the group or for you know different people who might receive a distribution whatever the case is how are you going to best implement strategies it might be minimizing tax it might be some other outcome you're trying to achieve but you know this is really the the sort of the crux of it is where it all sort of comes together into one you know reasonably short document but uh it, it's quite an important thing to consider yep definitely thank you craig i think you know and let, i will round it out there and we'll come back to the trust distribution shortly because there have been a few recent changes of view from the ato but they'll talk about that separately we'll round out the top 10 strategies that we've given you and you know number nine is year-end tax administration so all all the exciting stuff um, <laughs> making sure your compliance and reporting obligations are up to date but this is all important you know it's making sure your single touch payroll and annual finalizations are all done and it all reconciles properly and get it done yeah that should be ready to go 30 june done and dusted or you know whenever the last pay run is you can go and have them all finalised so all your staff from 1 July can go lodge their returns if they want. Similarly, the taxable payments annual report that comes out every year, I think that's due, is it 28 July or 28 August? Yes, One of those. I think it's August, yeah. Yeah, August. So you want to have that all up and ready to go and you know get it done on time. For those who don't know what that is, that's more for clients in, I think it's construction and transport are the ones that are currently in that would be in the mining and resources industry. So yep. if you're considered to be in the construction industry or in the transport industry generally and you know they've got the ANSIC codes and things like that to determine whether that applies to you what that is is basically a, a report that you submit to the ATO in relation to contractor payments that you've made during the year it's sort of similar to like your wages report for your staff but it's a separate report for for contractors and allows the ATO to do some data matching in those particular industries yeah making sure they're all putting that income in right yeah correct and and look the other one it always pops up at the motor vehicle logbook. Did you buy a new motor vehicle during the year? Make sure you got that new logbook done. Mm. Do you employ staff? Are they using motor vehicles? Have they done the logbooks? Do they need new logbooks done? It's just really important to make sure you have that evidence to justify how much you want to claim of these cars and mutes that you're buying, all right? So that's sort of just your basic year and compliance. But one of the other ones that always pops up uh, more and more now as well that we see is, you know, how to extract the wealth from all your trading entities. And, you know, we've seen it time and again that businesses will operate they've been going for several years and they've built up all these cash reserves and now they have significant retained profits and the one thing that people forget is that if anything goes wrong with those contracts that you've got in place and your business gets sued well all that excess assets and cash well they're available in the pool right so what we try and do as part of our tax planning is look at that each year and go well do we have another company that we can basically pay a dividend out of your trading entity and effectively whether you've got a trust as a shareholder and we flow it through the trust and we pay it over to another separate investment company 
and we actually flow through the cash properly. And so what that does is it reduces the assets available in your trading entity and physically moves the cash out of there so that if anything happens, we're keeping those trading entities with as little assets as possible. And then in the other company, you're storing all that excess cash and you can do some investments in that company. You can loan money from that company to another entity to do different investments. But what it does is it separates the risk and it leaves you with a trading entity that has minimal assets and an investment wealth entity that is really building up all your assets. So if anything comes down, you're not going to lose everything ideally. Right? So it's something that more and more we're seeing with clients and it's just they, you know, whether some advisors just don't pay attention to it, unfortunately, and it's something that, you know, it needs to be front of mind as with structure reviews and everything that it's not just a set and forget. It's, oh, okay, we've got excess cash. And, um, and to be honest, more and more these days, having excess cash can be a negative when you're looking at selling your business and trying to get access to some of the small business concessions. So it's just about always thinking ahead, planning ahead, and being a bit more proactive with all that excess cash that you have. Yep, good idea. So there's a couple of interesting issues that have sort of cropped up this current tax planning year, which we might sort of spend just a little bit of time going over just for businesses out there who may be affected. So I guess the first one is, is and as Scott sort of alluded to, was around sort of those trust distribution resolutions. So historically, one thing that advisors and trust controllers would do is to look at, well, what are the strategies that we can put in place to try and minimise the amount of tax that we're paying by sort of distributing it as effectively as we can. One strategy, which is, is quite common, uh, is the distribution of profits to adult children, parents, those sorts of things. And I guess historically, the ATO's view has been largely not to disturb those sorts of arrangements. And that's sort of how things have gone. The ATO issued a ruling not too long ago suggesting that in some circumstances some of these arrangements might be reviewed and maybe some adverse tax outcomes if they were found to be not suitable in the ATO's eyes. So Scott, what are your thoughts on what business owners should be doing if they're running their trust and they're making plenty of money? They've come across this issue. What's their next step that they should be doing? Yeah, look, and then, you know, let's clarify what it, what it is HR are really looking at. And one of the tax pay alerts they've put out there is, you know, you've got mum and dad running the business. They've made, you know, call it a million dollars profit. They've got four kids and they send $200,000 each to mum and dad. And the rest of it, so the other 600000 150000 each to their four kids who are 20 years old, you know, ranging from 18 to 25, something like that, all at uni. And all that money doesn't actually go to the kids. It goes to mum and dad's mortgage or it goes to their investments themselves, right? So they too have now, you know, after decades of leaving it alone, have decided that, hey, that's not appropriate. And so now they're saying that, well, if you continue to do that, they're going to actually come back and look at it and potentially assess that all that income that went to the kids is going to be taxed at the trustee rate. Or it might go to mum and dad. Or it might go to mum and dad. But either way, in that case, it's all going to be taxed at 47% pretty much or yeah. the highest margin or whatever that is at the time. Yeah. So, you know, that's something that obviously lots of people have always done. And, you know, we've always taken that view that, well, even if it is a family business and the kids are part of that family, that wealth is for the family as a whole, right? Mm. So, you know, why has this ever been an issue? But There is that carve-out about 
family, um, normal family dealings and things like that. So I think that's sort of the reason why this has always been seen as a yep. not an inappropriate yep. sort of outcome. But, you know, like I said, the ATO has taken more of a direct line on this one. And, you know, they've sort of indicated in certain arrangements involving family, they're not going to accept it. Equally, in other arrangements involving family, they will. Mm. And so without going into too much detail here, I think the main thing here is that if you're running a business or a trust, make sure when you're making good money and you are making distributions to your kids or to parents or to non-resident relations or anything like that that you know might be seen to be a little bit more exotic than your regular sort of distributions to mum and dad in the bucket company then just make sure you're talking to your accountant and making sure that what you're doing is still legitimate the ATO have indicated that at this stage they're not going to commit resources to reviewing arrangements like this prior to the 22 financial year so you know there, there is some comfort in knowing that what's happened previously unless it's egregiously inappropriate mm. they won't be looking at too closely but FY22 you know everyone's on notice make sure whatever you're doing is correct or you at least have some support for what you're doing yeah. I think it's that's the biggest key that we've taken out of it is that it's a bit more communication and understanding as to why trust distributions are being made. It's no longer just a blanket, well, here's the marginal rates, we'll take them up to that level and this level and that level. It's yep. um, no, actually there's specific reasons and, and especially if the, some of the kids work in the business. You know, the ATO has said there's no issues with giving them distributions mm-hmm. as a form of payment. So, you know, it's really about just reaching out with your advisor and talking through, well, what does that look like for you and your family? And is there anything that needs to change? And if not, fantastic. If so, well, let's make sure you start doing that and just start figuring out now. Yep, great. Um, and Div 7A, what's, is there anything new for Div 7A this year? Look, it was more so just the way that, you know, normally the way that distributions are treated and, and when a when an amount owing from, say, a trust is treated as a loan. So each year you might say that, oh, look, we'll send you $10,000 to the company, right? And then you've generally got a year before that $10,000 will become a loan for Division 7A purposes, and then you'll have to deal with it and charge interest and minimum repayments, etc. And so they tell have now come out and said, well, where that dollar figure is known as at 30 June, well, then there's no longer an extra year. It is from that point forward, it becomes a loan. So let's say we did the $10,000 distribution on 30 June, on 1 July, it's now a loan and you have to start doing interest and minimum repayments on that straight away. So what they've said is where the amount is unknown, well, then you don't have to charge it straight away. So let's say you said, well, we'll give $100,000 to mum, $100,000 to dad and the balance to the company. So in that case, you would still have another year to work out, well, when do we have to do minimum repayments and start charging interest? So once again, a tiny change, but big impact on how you treat your account. So it all comes back to when you're doing that trust distribution, just actively engaging with the advisor and understanding, all right, well, what does that actually mean and how should we do this so it's more tax effective? And I guess one other thing that I've been doing more and more of late is with these Div 7A loans, at least for the time being, looking at you know whether there's any ability to put 
them onto secured loans, mm-hmm. particularly where you know you're in a situation where maybe the loans are starting to ramp up and they're having trouble keeping up with the tax and whatnot that's being caused by those minimum repayments. You know, one alternative is you know, especially currently with you know sort of significant property price increases and things like that, that you know potentially there's now additional equity in people's homes or in their investment properties or commercial properties or whatever. That maybe there's an opportunity there to secure a larger portion of those Div 7A loans and trying to reduce those sort of annual repayment obligations that they have. Yeah, and, and just for our listeners who aren't accountants, obviously, you know, uh, for Div 7A, an unsecured loan, the max term is seven years. But for those secure loans where you actually take a mortgage against, register a mortgage against your own property, um, you can have those Division 7A loans go over 25 years. So significant difference, but in some cases it actually works really well from a tax planning strategy, especially if that money is being used back in the business and you want to, you know, you are investing it. So, you know, having that over a longer term can actually be a much better outcome and easier to deal with. Yeah, perfect. So. That brings us to the end of today's podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. Today we went over some tax planning strategies and some questions that you should be asking your accountant or your accountant should be asking you to try and work out how can we best make sure that we're in a really good position for 30 June, not only for minimising tax purposes, but just for business performance as a whole, making sure that the business is the best place as it can be for the next financial year so that you know you can have the best outcome you can possibly have for the next financial year as well. Scott, thanks again for joining me and everyone, thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Resourceful, stories from the site. We'll be back in a month with more tips and insight from our other industry leaders. We'd love to connect with you. You can find us on all the usual social channels and our website, resourcesunearthed.com.au. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favourite platform so you never miss an episode.